0: Let us turn in God's word to the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 27, beginning there with verse 16 through verse 20. We have the Great Commission of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Last Sunday, we we looked at that and saw that there was these uh, great words of Christ that give to us the great imperative, the commandment to make disciples of all nations and then we saw the process that yes that going, that baptizing and that teaching all that Christ has commanded and that there truly is a purpose to it all that we'd see the nations made glad and realizing that of him and through him and to him are all things for God's glory as we come this Sunday morning to the Great Commission, I would have us to realize there is something here that's very powerful, to think how this, this amazing commission of Christ has impacted the world. It's really a question, you know, we would have for next Sunday, how has the Great Commission impacted Cornerstone, and next Sunday we want to see the challenge that we have the last 45 years of our time Yes, faithfully seeking to obey the Great Commission. And then how will be the next 45 years of being faithfully obeying the Great Commission? There's where the rubber meets the road. How will we put these things into action? Today, we ask that question. How has the Great Commission of Jesus impacted the world? And certainly, there's something extraordinary here. Because when we really look and find that there's been these comprehensive studies of the whole earth. Some 200 plus nations that have studied. And there's something around 2.2 billion. Yes. Billion with a B. Of those who identify themselves with Christianity. Now we wouldn't be so foolish to think that all those 2.2 billion people are truly Christians, but it is that which has yes, impacted every continent on the planet. It's the most powerful movement in the history of the world. We often don't realize how powerful this has been. and I think it's important for us to realize that a, a third of the population in our day identifies With Christianity. The whole earth. As Jesus spoke. That this gospel will be preached. To all the nations. That it will go to the ends of the earth. Christianity. Is the largest. Religious identity group. In the world. Amazing. How can it be. And that's the question. How can it be. That a dozen insignificant men have had such an impact on this world. And I believe there's something that's quite often left out even in our thinking as Christians. I believe that it's the amazing fact that Jesus not only gave the Great Commission, but he prayed for its success. And we read these words from John chapter 17, we don't have a formal great commission in John's gospel, but we have something very similar in his prayer to the Father. Beginning with verse 18, Jesus prays, As you sent me, Father, into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those, for us, for those who will believe in me through their word, their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. And then further on in his prayer, he says that they may be brought to complete unity, to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Jesus' prayer was for the success of a great commission, and it's had great impact on the earth. Let's pray together. Our Father, our prayer this morning is that we would all hear the voice of Jesus afresh with this great commission. Lock it into our hearts. Lock into our hearts the great message of the gospel. That truly we are much more sinful and lost than we can ever understand. And at the same time, you have told us that in Christ, in your son, we are much more loved and forgiven than we can ever comprehend. And we pray, O Lord, you would touch our hearts, strike our hearts afresh this morning with the great commission. And what a joy it is that we have part in seeing the gospel go to the ends of the earth. Bless our time, now we pray, in Jesus' name, amen. If you look there on the back of your bulletin, there is an outline of our uh, word this morning, and we would think of uh, certainly that The story for the nations is the gospel itself. And then, yes, really the story of the nations is the story of the impact of the gospel going to the nations, being sent forth to all the nations. And then finally, what we would look at here, the story of God among the nations. He is with us always. So we start with that very important fundamental concept. Of the story for the nations. And certainly the gospel is the story of the nations. We read from Matthew 28, verse 16. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him. But some doubted or were hesitant. of the age, the gospel—that's the great story. It's not geometric proofs, logic. It's not somehow or another what we might call uh, philosophy, or or a set of really rules and laws for life, or the great wisdom of the ages, the wise men of the Greeks and the Romans later. This is the great story of God's redeeming love. We have that old hymn. We have we have a story to tell to the nations that will turn their hearts to the right, a story of truth and mercy, a story of peace and light, enjoyable to sing. What is the grand and simple story we could all together say John 3:16. We know the story in its beauty is there or as paul put it so beautifully god made him jesus who had no sin to be sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of god in him not in ourselves so this is the story that transforms people transforms cultures and nature nations and tribes this is the great gospel story. And I believe that we have had in our day, especially those gospels that are not the gospel story of Jesus Christ and his redeeming love. It is a very different message. Let me just point out three of these. We have what I would say the biblical gospel versus the social gospel. There is something there kind of strange. What they wanted to do is somehow or another with the goodness of man and his education, his civilization, he would rise and everything would get better and there would not be the war and the violence and people would love one another. And of course, the real problem with this social gospel was really not that they wanted to promote peace and love, And somehow or another, these good things of helping people in need, but it was that they had no gospel. They had no redeeming story of God's amazing love. They were there with mere what we might call rules and regulations. There was this social gospel that had no redemptive message of the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's the real problem. It had no basis for truth and love from God. What it really taught was that there was relief without the great story of Christ. And the gospel of Jesus is that which brings forgiveness to an unforgiving world that we live in. Secondly, important to note, and I would call this the biblical gospel versus the curiosity gospel. Now, what we have is all kinds of new things in our day. Paul warned Timothy about a time to come when men would not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear what an expression itching ears that want to hear they will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to miss now I believe we have in our day those who you know they have new revelations from God they have new visions they have new things and I believe they go beyond God's word that great principle of God's word 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6, what we have called an apostolic saying. Do not go beyond what is written. God's word alone is that which is our foundation. A curiosity gospel is not the real thing. It merely takes things from the imaginations. They're fanciful and brings forth things that people want to hear. And then what we call in our own day and what has been called the biblical gospel versus the prosperity gospel. Now I want us to be careful here because what takes place is something quite, quite beautiful. It's on TV and you see this guy, he's really good looking, you know, and he's really a great communicator and he's really with lots of money and he says if you'll be like me and follow what I say you'll all have all these wonderful things it's a prosperity gospel and how can you not be for that but reality is it's not the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ Christ spoke with very plain words that this other gospel is not the real gospel. Jesus never preached a prosperity gospel. In fact, Mark records that Jesus called the crowd to him. Along with his disciples and said, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel Will save it. Now, there is an eternal prosperity in Jesus' gospel. It really is prosperous in eternity and forever. But now, there is often suffering, persecution, and loss. What was Paul's stance? I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ because it is the power of God unto salvation to the Jew first and also to the Greek all that believe in Christ have that forever prosperity but there may be real suffering in our day yes as we read as we read in Hebrews some face jeers and flogging while still others were chained and put in prison They were stoned. They were sawed in two. They were put to death by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, mistreated, great tribulation. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains and in caves and holes in the ground. We could ask the question, was it worth it? Hmm. The writer of the book of Hebrews says these were all commended for their faith yet none of them received what had been promised. Yet, yet God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. There really is a prosperity eternal gospel in Jesus Christ. Now we must bring the true gospel. We must be careful that we know the word of God well and bring that word. It's that gospel that is the power of God unto salvation. Secondly, I want us to look at this glorious heritage that is ours as cornerstone. Those who have gone before us for centuries, the story of the nations, the impact of the Great Commission upon thousands that have been sent ...to the ends of the earth. Like those faithful men and women... ...of Hebrews 11... ...the world was not worthy of them. And it's good for us... ...just as Hebrews 11... ...has this element of looking at those... ...that God used in a great way... ...with all their imperfections... ...they're not emphasized... ...as we read Hebrews 11... ...but certainly they were those of faith... ...in the God of Abraham. And So as we look to those things... I would ask this to start with what took place in the early church. The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. Isn't that an amazing statement? Almost have to stop and pause. What does that mean? It sounds crazy, doesn't it? How can it be that the blood of the martyrs is the growth of the church? And yet that's the reality. That question How did the early church overcome the opposition of the Roman Empire? It really took place. It's an astounding fact of history. How did the obscure Jesus movement impact the world? And in reality, the Roman Empire came down and Christianity had great impact. Ultimately... We read from Revelation 12, verse 11. It says, "They overcome by the blood of the Lamb, the good news of Christ's work on our behalf, the blood of the Lamb, and by the word of their testimony, the gospel was the power that overcame." But I want us to notice the last phrase of Revelation 12:11. Certainly we need to know the context that evil will be defeated. But there's something important in this last expression of Revelation 12, 11. It says, they did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. When all the, the plagues and the epidemics and pandemics and whatever we want to call all these things that came upon the Roman Empire, we find them shrinking, yes, from death. The Roman Empire was really in a horrible state. And I would like for us just to pause for a minute and think about this. A renowned historian Rodney Stark and I'd recommend his books though. He's not writing necessarily from a Christian perspective but he tells us historically the rise of Christianity and how the Roman Empire fell. Fascinating. He speaks of how there was this Amazing way in which, though the Roman citizens with their gods, their paganism, they were in dreadful fear. And Christianity during these times multiplied. The disasters came, and they had no purpose for life from their gods. They had no affection, they had no love, they had no care. They didn't even care for their own family members. They let them die. In fact, the story is told with graphic detail of how they would stack up the bodies of their own family members with others that would be far away from them. They wanted no contact with any of these. They even had a sense of where people would stagger through the streets as the description is given almost dead bodies as they walked about, just looking for some kind of help, but they all avoided them. All they knew to do was to avoid contact with the sick. Even the famous physician Galen, uh, modern medical historians say that he didn't even, wasn't able to completely describe The plague because he stayed away from it. He went to his country estate. He fled Rome. He stayed away from it all. The Christians though. They had a whole different way. The Galileans as they were called. They cared for their own. And they cared for others. And many times it was a matter of giving water and food. And and care That people survived and they had immunity and Christians multiplied during this time. The Roman gods could feel no love for the people. And so their own citizens had no real love for their own, let alone others. Our God, our God demonstrates his love for us in his giving his own son for us we have the great reality that we are to care for our brothers and sisters and for even our enemies. Wow. That's amazing grace. That's a whole different world. This is what we have when we think of when the New Testament was new. Can you imagine hearing for the first time Jesus teaching about the Son of Man saying, I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Whatever you did for one of these, you did also for me. Isn't that amazing grace? Isn't that something the world doesn't know anything about? Rome had no understanding of this. In fact, one of their pagan emperors commanded his priests to act like these Galileans. But they just couldn't do it. There was no foundation of love. Their gods were gods without affection and love. And they couldn't produce that. So we have such an amazing story here of how there really was this transforming grace in the Roman Empire with those Galileans that God used. So we have this wonderful reality that it's the church that lovingly reached out to others They were a community of truth and love. As we look at the Middle Ages, there's certainly something that's very different there. It would seem like the the churches, in in a way, almost brought themselves into monasteries and and isolated themselves, and and as the nations themselves were so concerned with their greatness and grandeur and, and their wars and all that was going on, it would seem like there was little Attention given to the great commission and taking the gospel to others. But there was a wonderful and amazing exception to that. A man by the name of Raymond Lowe. And probably no one here, if I asked you to hold up your hands, no one would even say, how do you say his name? How do you spell it? In Spanish, we call him Raimundo Lulio. He's the father of the Catalan language. An amazing man who had, being from a family of great wealth born on the island of Mallorca, there just off to the east of Valencia, Spain. And there on that island, uh, he lived his life with great uh, dissipation, as as, uh, literary people might say. He was a poet and lived to the world, but he heard a sermon when he was 30 years old and had a vision that changed and transformed his whole way of life. He then had a passion to send out the gospel. The Great Commission became that which was upon his heart and life from then on. He gave away his whole fortune to the poor and left just enough money for the maintenance of his family. And the man lived the rest of his life spreading the gospel to the nations, especially to Islam and the Arab world. He had a novel idea. I like that expression. It was novel at that time because what the whole Christian world saw was Islam was something to be defeated and conquered with the sword. Kill those Arabs. His novel idea was learn their language so we can communicate the love of Christ to them. God used him in a sense as a forerunner of the Reformation because it was through him that the great universities of Europe then began yes began to teach Hebrew and Aramaic and Arabic and the languages even Greek that was that time they began to really look at these things he's the first writer during that whole time to write in something other than Latin he wrote some 300 books in Spanish and in Catalan, his name is revered there in Barcelona. All the schools and the universities teach in Catalan. Ra- Raymond Raymond Law is is of great importance to them. He publicly challenged in the Arab world Islam. On various occasions, he stood and and there publicly had the gospel presented. He was finally stoned to death by a mob. But his testimony is one that we need to know in our day. One who was fearless to take the love of Christ to the world of Islam. We think of the Reformation period. And certainly it would almost seem like the Reformers. They were just trying to keep their head above water. They were, yes, trying to see the gospel go into churches that were full of idolatry and uh, Uh, All kinds of false teachings. And the gospel was being spread into those churches. At the same time. There is a beautiful exception. As seeing during this time. Among the Protestants. The Huguenots. The French speaking Protestants. They went. As the first Protestant missionaries to the new world. There were those who were the ministers. Who were handpicked by old John Calvin himself, and they were sent to Brazil. And that was the the great uh, missionary endeavor sent forth there. But in sadness, that whole uh, development ended with uh, different Roman Catholics that attacked them, and and there were various ones murdered, and the whole thing was destroyed. And we could be with uh, the question, did it have any real value? What came of it? And I think it's good for us to remember that today, Brazil is a land where, yes, there are millions of Christians and Brazilians are sending out missionaries from Brazil to our nation and to other nations of the earth. Amazing. But let's focus just for a few moments quickly on the American scene. You remember the new world is discovered. And suddenly it was kind of like, it's the greatest geographical discovery in the history of the world. Suddenly, wow, what has taken place? There's a book I read before 1491. You know, it kind of gives you something of, this is a whole new world. We have in New England, one of the great stories is that of, of how we have a true giving of the gospel to the people there, the indigenous people. But the whole of Americas really had two different Christs brought to them. On the one hand, the conquistadores arrived, and they arrived with, yes, the cross and a sword to demand the submission of the tribes. On the other side, the Puritans the pilgrims as we speak of them, they arrived with the Christ of the cross and the Bible, God's word, the gospel. Jesus came not with a sword in his hand, but with nails in his hands, his suffering for them. John Elliot, an amazing story, and I encourage you to find a biography of this man. It is such an amazing story. It'll touch your heart as he lived his life. He came from England, born in 1604. He came there because one of the things that was so important to him was the, the uh, what we call the, the, uh, the, uh, I guess the seal of Massachusetts. And it has the indigenous man saying, come over and help us. And that was a driving force in his life as he came. Come over and help us. He came to the Boston area and he pastored for some many, many years one of the larger churches in that area. But during that time he had a burden for one of the tribes locally there. And he began to work with them. And for some 40 years through riding horseback and walking, he ministered to them through rain and All the difficulties of New England. A different world than our sunshiny world here. He labored to take the gospel to them. To take that gospel of Christ to them. The story is a fascinating story. Because he was the one who really was able to gather them together into settlements finally. And they had some numerous settlements all about. So they had churches together. Every two weeks he would go and he preached. It took him 14 years to translate the scriptures into their language. It is the first, first Bible printed in the new world. John Eliot. He gave himself for those 14 years to put the gospel into their language. To put the word of God into their language. It's really an amazing story. He wrote on the final page of his 14 year translation project and I remind you that he's really the first missionary since the 4th century to translate the scripture into an unwritten language and then teach the people how to read it this is you got to get up early in the morning to do this this is before Wycliffe Before the scientific genius of of the people of Wycliffe. Wow. He wrote on that last page We must not sit still and look for miracles. Up and be doing, and the Lord will be with you. Prayer and pains through faith in Christ Jesus will do anything. And of course, a decade later, King Philip's war wiped out almost everything of the settlements. The other Indians attacked them and slaughtered them because they wouldn't go to warpath with them. And the British soldiers mistakenly killed them because they thought they were the other Indians that were on warpath. And yet, through it all, there was this tremendous love that John Eliot had for them. And he was known among them with this great affection as the Apostle. Of the Indians. Isn't this amazing grace? Isn't this just. We're part of this story. Cornerstone. We're part of this. This great history. This great heritage. Our heritage story. Is amazing. Let me just for a couple minutes. Grab hold of the Moravians. They are such a. a Amazing group. Count Nicholas. Van. Zinzendorf. That's a word, I kind of like that last word. Zinzendorf. We could almost say it together. It's kind of something that stays with you. He provided a place for them as a people there in Germany, Hernhut, to come and be together, and they formed their church and they worked together, and that which was upon their heart was the Great Commission. It was upon their heart constantly for two centuries. I have an old volume, a large old volume, about missions, And in that volume, 1883, it has these facts that are just pretty amazing. How they sent out 2,212 missionaries during that time up until 1882. Isn't that amazing, Grace? To think of a little church in Hernhut, Germany, has sent out 2,212 missionaries. When they went into Greenland, they they didn't see any conversions. No one coming as a disciple of Christ for five years. they have been working constantly on translating the scriptures into their language. And an Eskimo group comes up to them and they say, what are you doing? They begin to kind of explain what they're doing. And finally, they just stop and they begin to just read the passion of Christ in Matthew's gospel. And they were thunderstruck with just hearing this story and then they began to weep and the story is such a story that the Greenlanders became those who preached the message, the story of the slaughtered lamb they became those who preached that message who are we that God would use us as part of this great heritage, cornerstone 2,212 wow what a privilege to be part of that heritage and certainly it's amazing grace all of this and time would fail us as we have in the book of Hebrews to tell of a David Brainerd and tell of a Henry Martine and to tell of yes those different ones of a David Livingston or or as we would take those in a more up to date time of those later on that would be a Cameron Townsend and the amazing story of Wycliffe and the gospel going to all these languages. We have a great privilege. This is our story of Bruce Olson taking the gospel there in Colombia. A Cheppy Bitterman giving his life there in Colombia. We're part of this wonderful story. Finally, just a brief word. How is it possible? That we would obey the great commission, the challenge that is before us, the story of God among the nations. That's what makes it possible. He has promised here, I will be with you even to the end of the age. He is the one who is Emmanuel, God manifest in the flesh, God. With us, He is the Lord God Almighty. The Lord said, Surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. That's it, that's what makes it all possible. Certain that the great commission will be faithfully fulfilled. Now, that presence is the guarantee that we will be more than conquerors through all this. He clothes us with power from on high. Isn't that amazing grace? Isn't that good news that we have the promise that he will do it through us? So I would leave us all with this call for faithfulness to the Great Commission, with this reality that the Lord Jesus is with us always. Always. Psalm 46.10 Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Will we be faithful? It is God who is with us and that causes our faithfulness to him. Just amazing grace, isn't it? Let us pray together. Father, it is our prayer that you'd impact us with this great commission. Help us to Live as a community of truth and love. Help us to acknowledge that we really are more sinful than we can understand. And yet at the same time, more loved and more forgiven than we'll ever be able to comprehend. Give us, as a church, the great privilege of, yes, going forth to the ends of the earth with the gospel. Yes, as a church, sending out our sons and daughters yes, sending our grandchildren forth with the gospel to the nations. Cause us to be truly a great commission church and something much more than a mutual admiration society. Cause us to be those who are willing to risk our lives for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Touch our hearts now we would be those who know that the gospel is for all lands and as a church we exist for your glory to be made known to the ends of the earth we ask now lord even as we would sing that you would touch our hearts as a church to faithfully obey the great commission in jesus name we pray